A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Stephen. And this is the New Statesman non-emergency podcast. This is your regularly scheduled podcast. But we are going to do something... um, we are going to go outside, taking our cue from Andy Burnham. We're going to go outside the Westminster bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, both you and I have left the M25 in, in recent times and have come back with much knowledge. But let's talk about Labour's mayoral elections. So, I'm never going to forget one, but remind me when I go there. So, Liverpool Metro Mayor, the candidate, Labour candidate has been announced, that is Steve Rotherham. Yep. Manchester uh, has been announced, Metro Mayor, that is Andy Burnham, mm-hmm. who uh, people will, will know and love, no doubt. Uh in Bristol, we have Marvin Rees, who is a Labour mayor. In London, we have Sadiq Khan, who is a Labour mayor. And the one I've forgotten is Sean Simon yeah. of the West Midlands, representing my West Midlands crew. Yeah, he is... The candidate. The candidate, yeah. He's presumably the only one who, where being the Labour candidate is not the shoe-in that you might hope. Uh, yeah, you can... T- it is very plausible than with the right candidate. Um, I mean, I think... The, the, the interesting thing is, um, and we got... A lot of really interesting emails, and I enjoyed reading this week. Uh, but one, and I'm going to portmanteau two names together. Uh, one from Marcus Badger. Marcus Badger. How can you forget the one who is uh, yeah who who wrote in to us, uh, Dr. Badger? And I, I broadly agreed. In fact, I actually think I might be confusing his email with Jack Layton's. But I broadly agreed with with with. I one found or both, both of them. I enjoyed both emails, and one of them made a point that I broadly agreed with, which I'm now about to quote after a long preamble about which one of them actually said it, please do write, write in more so you too can, in, <laughs> can, can be misquoted. Uh, yeah, my flagrantly bad quoting practices. Um, then the Tories have a deeper bench and a more impressive field overall uh, than the Labour Party at present, which I think is true. Uh, however... Ooh, interesting, because I disagreed with that when I looked at those leadership candidates. I was like, hmm, Liam Fox, hmm, Boris Johnson, hmm, Michael Gope, hmm, Andrew Lidham. I mean, Boris Johnson, say what you like about him, is very popular. Yeah. As, as a Tory who's won in London. Uh, so he obviously has got got game. Uh, but Michael Gove is kind of the anti-Jeremy Corbyn, which is that everybody in Westminster loves him and seems mysteriously to think he would be catnip to electorate. And all actual people in the electorate hate, sort of, you know, violently react against him. Yeah, I think my favourite my favorite Venn diagram in politics is right-wing commentators who are like, how are these people who are voting for Corbyn so out of touch? Michael Gove is popular. They are literally, <laughs> in, in polls, they are... Exact. Their polls are a common copy of each other. They are liked by about fifteen percent of the electorate, and they are widely identified. They are two politicians who most people 
have yeah, they have know who they of. are. They just uh, might yeah have and, strong opinions on them one way or the other. Yeah, and and they they're mostly yeah not not positive. Um, but um, but Michael Gove, you know, Michael Gove. Sorry, I'm doing my Hamilton thing again. I um, mean, Michael Gove unquestionably uh was a a, a significant operator, right? Um. But I also think, actually, the leadership field is a bit of a, a misnomer. For me, it it comes down to um, kind of your kind of junior minister uh, level uh, kind of. Kind I of. think that's really true because when they did the reshuffle, they announced names. For example, when I was because I've been writing or working on a piece about prisons, when I heard that Sam Gimer had gone to prisons, for example, I thought, oh, well, that's really you know he'll be someone who'll be really interesting. He'll be yeah. quite good at communicating. And actually, it was at that second tier level where you just thought, oh, that person's quite good. Or like you know Harriet Baldwin, for example. You know, sort of those kind of people that probably only people in Westminster have heard of. But there was there was depth there. Yeah, they, I think, and that is the thing you'd really notice um, uh, if. If like me, you're a, you know a big nerd who like you know, the the things I really noticed about the kind of policy issues I'm really into, so I will watch all of the Commons debate. Is at the Secretary of State level, you'll look at the Labour person and be like, oh yeah, they're about equivalent. I mean, obviously less so now with this slightly. Well, people are having to kind of do three jobs, triple it's jobbing, just but very difficult. Yeah, but mostly at Secretary of State level, um, you will go. Yeah, I mean, oh, I yeah, thought no, Lucy Powell, for example, I thought was really quite impressive at, yeah. at education and did a good job when she yeah. was opposing that. I think it's harder for uh, Angela Rayner, who's now in that brief and also at Women and Equalities, because she's just, you know, she's only just started doing it and yeah. she's doing two different briefs. Although, actually, in terms of one of my hobby horses, which obviously the listeners are not bored of at all, um, are is Diffid, right? So Diffid is currently being staffed by... People who hate Diffid and the concept of People who hate Diffid. development, hate the development target. Um, what is Kate Osmore doing on the on the day that it was reported in the Telegraph that they are effectively going to rebrand it as Money with Menaces for international <laughs> trade purposes? Um, she she wrote a, a you know very good piece for us about about uh, the state of the Labour Party. It was just like, um, are you not this this quite important? Issue, no. In fact, no, we did ask her to write that piece about the state of the Labour Party, but I take... <laughs> never, let, never let it be said that we are ungrateful for people who contribute pieces to um, us about the state of the Labour Party, but I do take your point. And I guess this is... Uh, but I think it comes back to the ancient problem that most people do not care all that much about development at a policy. They're, they're happy the 0.7% target is there, but in terms of the nitty-gritty of the, the policy, they're not that into it. But that um, also comes towards the point that I've been reaching towards, which I haven't yet found a non-offensive way of expressing, so I'm just going to say it anyway, which is that more of the people who are more closely involved in politics are more likely to have a negative opinion of, of Corbyn and his team. I think there is a decent correlation between people who are really invested in the minutiae and the day-to-day because they will have seen and noticed something like that. Yeah, and I think that is part of what has gone wrong with the relationships between both sides, as it were. Is that, I mean, it's really striking to me that in every YouGov poll of the membership, whenever you ask people if they've heard of Angela Eagle or Owen Smith, effectively, Liz Kendall supporters will know who all of the people are. They will be following the news much more closely. Then Yvette supporters, then Andy Burnham supporters, then Jeremy Corbyn's supporters. And obviously all of these people follow the news much more than, you know... Normal people. <laughs> no, yeah, people who don't join political parties. Yeah. But, yeah, and, and there, there is clearly, and you can see it in the, 
his his approval ratings, which are weirdly almost a mirror image of his approval ratings in the country at large. So Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn is most popular in London among ordinary voters, but he's I mean he's still very popular among the London Labour Party. It's worth pointing out, and this narrative about his London problem is slightly overcooked. But he is least popular. He is merely very popular among London members, as opposed <laughs> to overwhelmingly popular. popular. And but it I is striking. That, I, I yeah, think that's and then it is striking. Then basically, the closer you are to him, the the less uh, interesting. Although, of course, um, but we've got so used to using elite as a pejorative, haven't we? Whereas sometimes it just stands in for person whose day to day job is in politics or whose job involves a day to day knowledge of politics. That it's almost become kind of unfashionable to say that anybody might know more about politics than anybody else. That's kind of. Oh, well, good luck with that in your inbox. Um, but, <laughs> it's um, all right. The podcast listeners, as I've discovered, are really sane. And when they disagree with you, they send you very long, thoughtful emails in which, you know, you have a really interesting, like you learn something from it. Sorry, it's not Twitter, uh, Stephen. Um, but, um, but anyway, in t- on the subject of, of people escaping from Westminster. Yeah. So uh, the Conservatives have a much deeper bench in most places. But actually, in in, in the West Midlands, they don't really they've um continually failed to win seats in Birmingham which they really ought to have mm. uh Edge Baston obviously being the the classic example although it's by no means the only Yardley is another interesting place where they've effectively still been one of those places they took off the Lib Dems right in 2015 yeah Labour took off the Lib Dems but it's 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 an interesting example of a place where you know a long time ago it was a three-way the Lib Dems gradually ate the Conservative Party. Now the Lib Dems have collapsed, but the Conservatives haven't recovered to a point. And the and the way that the Lib Dem MP in Yardley fell is amazing, by the way. I don't know. I mean, you probably know this story better than yeah. I did. It was like, it involved someone alleging that someone else's mistress had poisoned their cat. I mean, it was, you just, you know, I yeah, read that a, and I was like, oh, you don't get political scandals like that very often. Um, but they don't have that great a bench there. Although someone who is interesting to watch out for is Andy Cook, uh, who um, is a very good uh, long-term friend of uh, Michael Fabricant, who's obviously an MP in Litchfield. Uh, And he is the... Oh, is it a CEO if you're a co-op? He's the panjandrum of of John Lewis, which is obviously a a large and well-loved force throughout the country, but particularly in the bits of, of that electoral region that they'd need to win it. So... So it feels unlikely that the Tories will win will win there, even if they can get Andy Cook to do it. But you wouldn't bet against... Yeah, Sean, it's Sean not so Simon not is like the, it is, is in the, Liverpool or Manchester. It's the only... Um, yeah. Okay, can I talk about a couple of other things that I thought were really interesting that came out of it? The number of people, and I think you noticed this before I did, the, number, the small number of people who voted in the Labour Manchester primary. So... I think it's a metro region of what three million people, and actually you ended up with about eight thousand people, something like that. Vote, Seven thousand people, something Although, like that, voting in the in the in the primary. I mean, they went, you know, and Andy Burnham there got just over half of those, I believe. Yeah, and they, I mean, they did have a, a freeze date that was a, a very long way back. Um, slightly confusingly, I have a one message from the Labour Party saying the freeze date was six months. Another saying it was twelve months. They've both been set at the same time. I'm getting conflicting reports from Cambridge, but my impression is it was a twelve month three I had so heard that it was it was the last general election essentially and anyone so after that was July twenty fifteen. Yeah. So it's kind of only like the kind of first wave of the mm. the Corbyn surge, as it were. But but it is striking that my own uh, local borough of Hackney where again 
a similar foregone conclusion, a similar... Uh, for, for May, uh, Yeah, a similar, yeah, uh, yeah, so um, Jules Piper's been recruited. So Sadiq Khan, perhaps to make up for his ancestral crime of being a South Londoner, um, it has been pillaging my, my local borough for, for talent to staff City Hall, uh, to the point that one of our councillors joked on Twitter that every time they see Sadiq Khan with a Hackney Labour member, they worry it will be the last time they see them. Well, he's got, uh, so he's got James Murray on housing, hasn't from he? From Islington. And Tom is, Copley is, is City Hall spokesman. In the GLA, so he's, uh, but he's got, a, from Hackney, he's taken Sophie Linden to be his policing mm-hmm. uh, person, and uh, she's been very impressed. He's taken Jules Pipe, our mayor, to uh, to 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 work for him as well. So we have a mayoral by-election, which will be fought by Philip Granville, who is currently uh, councillor for housing. Who I'm I'm very fond of because full disclosure, he once rescued me from a lift in our flat when it broke down. <laughs> Personally, uh, no, he didn't send someone. He, oh no, he, he, he sent someone. But so I was I was in this lift, you know, stuck. And I decided to send a subtweet about local accountable, uh, local authority accountability because, you know, this obsession people have with like this idea, no, if you reform public service and local authority, and it's like, I mean, one, they were created in 1906 to solve a religious squabble, right? They're not a perfect solution to, to, to many things. But, um, but also, if I'm in this lift, right, and I like that Hackney Council has a great recycling policy, but the lift breaks down... What's my democratic sanction? I don't want to get rid of my councillors. I like my councillors. Also, it's in Hackney, even if I hated my councillors. Like, I mean, like, you know, my latest one got 3,000 votes in a by-election. 3,000 votes. That's more votes than there were votes. So there were more votes cast for the Labour Party in Stoke Newington than there were votes uh, cast to select the mayoral candidate to replace Jules Pipe. Um, okay, if you're allowed to complain about being stuck in a lift, am I allowed to complain that I moved to Lewisham in April and it took until last week for them to get me a normal wheelie bin and they still haven't got me a recycling bin? So you wouldn't have that in Hackney. Hackney is very good on green issues. And actually, to be fair, uh, I only sent one tweet on on, on the lift and uh, he, he... But did you tweet that you were trapped in a lift? Yeah, I was like, then... thoughts that occur to you when you're stuck in a lift. Because I'd... To be, in That's my defense, amazing. I phoned... I did phone the like lift service people first oh. to be like, get me out of this lift. And then I was waiting in the lift and uh, he asked me to like let him know yeah email him with what the secure with what the you know issue number was he and then um yeah and i think we should talk more about at some point about how lifts are a menace i had a group of friends who got stuck in a lift over bank holiday and it took them ages basically to say that they would be able to call anyone out eventually because it was stuck between floors they just crawled out and the lift engineer went you know did that sort of like plumber thing like sucking air between his teeth we said well that's what normally what people do they try and actually just you know climb out but the problem is that they can end up getting cut in half Anyway, um, that has nothing to do with Labour's mayoral elections. Mayoral elections. Um, but can we just talk about the two things I think are really interesting? For, uh, well, okay, so we've done one, which is the the, the smallness of, of, of Manchester's party. Because the thing it? is, even, even though those were both pre-surge, it, basically it turns out there are there were there are more members, and I'm told from having talked to people from both Greater Manchester and uh, and the Hackney Labour Party, and this is still true, there are more members in the London Borough of Hackney, which has 250,000 people, than there are in the Greater Manchester region, which has two and a half million. People. Yeah, I was talking to someone who's, who's going to the CLP, uh, Islington North CLP meeting about who they're going to nominate. Spoiler alert, pretty sure it's going to be Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. And there's, you know, there's like they're expecting kind of basically a thousand people to turn up, I mean, a hun- certainly in the hundreds of people. Are they not going to do it via GC? As I understand it, it's a it's a meeting tonight. But oh, you know. that seems because mostly, so I've got way too involved in this. Uh, so there are there are two ways you can nominate. Most uh, 
general committees and all members meeting, there is a, I find it remarkable in the Labour Party, a party which loves anti-democratic fixing, people have managed to fixate on something which is in fact not a fix. I mean, like, seeing as if you picked at random things to fixate on the Labour Party, your chances of hitting a fix are higher than, higher than they are not. I find it amazing that people have managed to pick this one. Um, you know, Jeremy is winning in all member meetings, he's winning in GCs. If you stripped one out, and strip the other one in, he would he would be winning. I think by it's really interesting margins. the number of people now that I've been following. You've been doing updates, sadly, slightly for your band names and bits of the shipping forecast in the last year about CLP nominations. It's interesting the number of places that didn't nominate last time that have nominated Corbyn this time. I think yeah. that is an interesting shift. No, the thing I, the other thing I was going to say was the other thing is the 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 sort of the lack of uh, discrimination against people from the national stage in these mayoral sections. I'm thinking particularly. I'm actually thinking of Liverpool and Manchester. Um, which is that in the end, you know, they didn't go for an existing mayor, somebody who's based in a regional politician. They have gone for Andy Burnham, who is a, a cabinet member, and Steve Rotherham, who is Corbyn's PPS. I mean, I know he had previously had roles in local politics, so Steve Rotherham's slightly different case. But there's not a kind of this anti Westminster sentiment has not extended to the extent of saying, well, we wouldn't want to pick anyone who's an MP because they're... I mean, I think the the thing uh, with with both Steve and with Andy Burnham is that they are genuinely politicians who... And I'd like to make it clear, you know, I don't actually have that much of a problem with, you know, kind of... You're, an MP's job is to do casework and represent someone in, in the House of Commons. Actually, if they want to live with their kids the full-time in the week in London, which is where they spend most of their time... I'm personally fine with it, and actually, the, all the evidences of voters are, are are mostly fine with it. I mean, like, but they do need to keep a connection and they the need constituency. To keep a, yeah. I mean, there were they did some investigation a while ago, and there were some MPs who sort of literally hadn't done a constituency surgery in 14 years, right? If you neglect your constituency like yeah. that, it's different. But my instinct is that um, is that Andy Burnham would not have be- beaten. I don't understand why I can't ever remember his name. Go on, Tony Lloyd. Mm. I keep wanting to call him Richard Lloyd because Richard Lee is just this weird portmanteau that I I've started to do. And it, not David Lloyd after the gym. Uh, it's very strange. I think I think people who have first surnames, which are first names, always like they kind of trigger my like yeah like my kind of the sleeping giant of my dyslexia kind of comes away. He's like, oh, what what's this? Someone with two names. What is it? I don't know why that's the that's a good impression of your sleeping dis- giant. But yeah. Um, um, so I don't think he would have beaten him if he had not been an MP who does spend mm. his weekends in his constituency, who does live there, whose kids go to school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think he is more... Um, so, I mean, for example, I mean, obviously, there are political reasons why I think Caroline Flint may struggle if she goes for the combined authorities mayor there. But I think she will find it easier because she does actually spend a lot of time in her spend, spends a lot of time in Don Valley than, say, Ed Miliband, who obviously people in Doncaster North have not had a problem re-electing. But don't feel but, that he's engaged. But you know, in the he is not. You know, he no, is I not a, an MP who lives in his but also constituency. Let's say, nor has he ever pretended to be. No. Um, but also, let's take a moment to say that Andy Burnham made the strategically correct call to stay in the shadow cabinet. Yeah, I mean, so I know I'm getting brickbats for this in this office, but I've become an Andy Burnham revisionist. Well, you've more become like a. I was going to say an Andy Burnham truther, but it's more. It's more. You've become a. a you've become an Andy Burnham kind of fanboy, I think, in the I'm sense not, that. 
you're quite willing to forgive him for making decisions based on... Well, okay, I don't think it's actually... Do you know what? It's fair enough, because actually I don't have a problem with politicians making strategic decisions and not being... I think one of the reasons my problems with Jeremy Corbyn is that the feeling that he always makes the principal decision, no matter what the consequences. And actually, I believe in real politics, and I believe that, for example, you have to do engage with unpleasant regimes or you have to meet unpleasant people in order to forge political solutions so actually I will come with you on this and say that although I thought it was a bit cowardly of Andy Burnham who obviously is no great Corbyn fan not to join everyone else actually if it ends up with Labour having a strong I guess it depends on what you think uh, Andy Burnham is sufficiently strong candidate for mayor that they needed him to do that I I mean I also think does the end justify the means I know so so I think there are a couple of points and I think are worth... Uh, and, yeah, one full disclosure, a long time ago in a, an, another life, as it were, I, I did, in fact, help on Andy Burnham's first campaign to be uh, leader of the Labour Party. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm to tip off the canary about that. I can write one of those long articles about everyone you met. Um, but um, one, so the destruction of his reputation in the leadership race resulted in the fact that he, he, he went fairly far to the right and then pelted back to the left. But that was based on two, in my view, 100% correct opinions. The first was that you couldn't win the 2020 election on the platform and the decisions, the financial decisions taken towards the end of the last Labour government were fine and dandy. Mm-hmm. That was an insight that he got, Liz Kendall got, Yvette Cooper did not get. Yvette Cooper wanted to go into the 2020 election going, no, 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 the 067 spending round was fine. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why we think that Yvette Cooper would have been more successful than Gordon Brown or Ed Miliband in that approach. Okay, so yeah. And the second thing he realised was that you could not win a Labour leadership election. Saying that. Saying that and <laughs> running to the right. He He came to those conclusions in the wrong order, but so did every commentator pretty much about the Labour leadership race. The only difference is he was the only politician who actually had to be in the position of having to do those things, right? Yeah. Everyone, like, you know, every, you know, every commentator on the centre-left, through to the centre, to the right, basically went, yeah, like, the, the you can't defend the record, etc., etc. You've got to accept, yeah, you know, it didn't work, falling over at that question time, etc., etc., and then there was kind of a holdout of, you know, brownites, Blairites who don't want to admit that, you know, you have to kind of accept and you can't defend every line of the record, etc., etc. And people, weirdly, on the far left, there was this weird alliance of diehard New Labourites and and um, and the traditional far left of the Labour Party. So um, what you're saying is it'll be really sad, but next year you'll probably leave the podcast because you're going to go and become Andy Burnham's spokesman. Yeah, I mean, I reckon he'll probably get someone from the north, but... Um, you can affect a northern accent. What's the worst that could happen? What is indeed the worst that could happen? But I think the other important thing we need to talk about these selections is... Uh, Sausage Fest? Yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously, as it turns out, it, I am a secret Andy Burnham fanboy. Um, uh, Steve Rotherham, I have you know, a lot of time for. Yeah, really liked in the PLP. L- yeah, lovely bloke, etc., etc. Um, Sean Simon is, has, has stepped back from frontline politics for a while. I think actually, and that and and and, and therefore no, has he's been, been an MEP. Yeah, which I mean, is no, no, I, which is like the like the you know people just keep baiting my pro-European. But you could yeah, you could be you could be sort of running MI5 or you know on the side and be an MEP, and no one would kind of clock it, right? I would clock. 
Okay, yeah, you would. Um, I mean, Sean Sean Simon, who's kind of like, you know, in that kind of like... But all I mean is he's got a lot less scrutiny, and that race has got a lot less scrutiny because there was... And it proves about the personality politics of the mayoral race because actually the same thing you could say about Marvin Rees in Bristol, right? It just hasn't got, at the national level, the same amount of attention because he's not... He's not. There's no Westminster kind of, uh, you know, byplay involved in that. In terms of the uh, people not wanting people from their local areas element, I mean, one, Joe Anderson made a couple of mistakes, but he also, there's an interesting trend, which is increasingly the thing that the Conservatives will do if they do want to continue with any form of spending cuts Depending on what the economy does, they may end up not doing that and just having a, a lot of stimulus. But they will continue to devolve it on Labour areas. The interesting thing is, in the first half of the 2010 to 15 Parliament, being a council leader was an insurmountable advantage if you wanted to be selected. And then basically, by about 2013, council leaders started to lose because they'd started to have to make a lot of cuts, they'd upset a lot of people, and it suddenly became very hard for council leaders to become MPs. Although, uh, I'm thinking of Jim McMahon in Oldham. Yeah. He's the kind of... Ca- I guess yeah, there will always be an exception. There will always be an exception. But, uh, that's, that, but that is interesting. But I also and I think that- Joe did have a lot of enemies. He also made a mistake that a lot of Londoners made, and also actually a lot of uh lloyd's um staff made when andy went into the race which is they were like oh isn't he a scouser i don't know why i said scouser with a hard a scouser 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 i don't anyway yeah i did um, hear that a lot people just sort of said that like there was this kind of like sunny sheer sectarian rivalry and i kind of thought well actually and i think this, this i could see like being a londoner being a real problem but i i you know i mean I, I know there are football derbies and things that i know not what of because that's not my area that divide um the big cities in the north but yeah i never really kind of quite got that i also think that the thing that a lot of people uh didn't pick up on uh and to be this is something i did write up in the initial write-up when he got into the race there were lots of people in Greater Manchester, as you know, in the Greater bit, who did not want it to be a Manchester mayor. And the fact that he is an MP for Greater Manchester, but you cannot accuse him of being someone who is going to be, you know, no, I'm not saying he's going to be an enemy of the city of Manchester, but he's not going to be. Is it that you'd rather have a Liverpool or Everton supporter than if you're a Man City fan, you'd than have a Man U fan or vice versa? Right? Well, it's actually sort of vice versa because Man U is actually not the team of the physical city unit is it but it's a bit like um in some ways it's kind of like people in zone six sort of want to know that the london mayor will have their own interest will have their interests at heart as well and i think one of the things when people underestimated was the andy burnham could speak to that he was a unity candidate yeah and also i think the mistake joe anderson made is a lot of people in 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 the liverpool area were upset by him being like oh isn't he a plastic scouser so he kind of did hit himself on both sides, and so I think he did struggle for for that reason. You know, it was not a flawless campaign. Okay, let's talk about the let's talk about the blokiness of it, though. So you've ended up with, I think, what's you men, know, men, 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 men. What's men, what, what men, is men, a, what is a, a, a small ray of sunshine is that you have ended up with two BME men in that Martin Reese um, and also Sadiq Khan. However, it, it does seem that. In every case, you could make a. In every one of those, you could make an argument for why the why the person who won won, right? Yeah. And so this is why I, this is always the difficulty when you're talking about sort of um, discrimination in these kind of races. It's just that somehow the criteria for what people want in any situation always seem to include women. That's the thing. I don't think you can look at any of those people and say 
it was, you know, what a terrible decision they've made. You know, they made a horrible choice. They've obviously overlooked a much better woman. But it does seem to be that there is something going on where whatever it is that people want will always turn out to be not something that to someone with two X chromosomes has. I mean, I think, to me, Sadiq is, I think, the one who you can actually most obviously query. Uh, I mean, Sadiq was a great candidate. The London field was astonishingly strong. Um, I mean... The point one conservative made to me is they said, yeah, really early on, they said, well, the unnerving thing is, is they could pick their fourth best candidate and their candidate would still be significantly better than our first best candidate. This person actually thought that Sadiq was their third best candidate. They thought David Lammy and Tessa Jowell were, were, were stronger options. But I think it is a measure of how good Labour's London bench uh, is and was than it was, you know. Than... But the thing is, if you wanted to vote for the most left-wing candidate. Are we going to do your... Are you going to do your calling out? If you voted for Corbyn and you didn't vote for Diane Abbott, you are a racist and a sexist. Until I die, (laughs) I'm going to keep ranting about this, right? She got 16% of the vote, right? 16% of the vote. In the same election, Jeremy Corbyn got 60% of the vote. We don't have a, a London breakdown, but in terms of the size of the London membership, it is not plausible that he didn't get at least... 50% of the vote in London. So we know that there was a massive gap between the two most left-wing candidates and two very obvious differences. And, okay, so there will be people who will start honking on about private school or oh you know i i'm sorry the thing about the private school is fascinating though because that's one very high profile mistake or misstep but you know tony blair sent his kids across london to the oratory which i know is technically a state school but was a a a, a selective on grounds religion but also if that if if diane abbott's child is now like what 50 I mean, if that's the thing that you hate Diane Abbott for, you know, you update your CV. Really. I also think it's just one of those things where people are willing to forgive Jeremy Corbyn for going on air. In fact, not only are they willing to forgive him for this, they are willing to make excuses which literally demean themselves. People are willing to humiliate themselves. I'm sorry, if you're one of the people who goes, he didn't really mean now when he said R50 now, you are basically like a child who has wet themselves in public, but you don't understand that's what you've done. Oh, I thought you were going to get angry uh, about press TV, because I was going to get angry about press TV. Okay, so the state broadcaster of a theocratic regime that kills gay people, stones adulteresses, and he hosted a phone-in show in which he watched somebody say that Israel is a disease, and he went, well, that's a very interesting opinion, and now on to the next caller. And 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 to to say well well it's yeah but whatever and then to be upset that Diane Abbott who when there is an established problem with black teenage boys in London yeah. uh, facing education disadvantage made uh, you know a selfish choice but one that was uh, she thought in his best interest yeah it's not like she voted for school vouchers or grammar schools or yeah like it's like it's like it's just like it's it crazy is, talk it is just one of those things where I just feel like I am willing to accept that you can forgive Jeremy Corbyn for those things I am willing yeah fine. However, if you're not willing to forgive Diane Abbott that, I'm afraid, sorry. Well, you hold her to a higher standard, don't you? That's the thing. You're you're looking for something. I I do think that there is a racial and a gender aspect to that. I'm afraid I do think if you voted for Jeremy Corbyn, but you did not vote for Diane Abbott in the mayoral race, you probably are a bit of a sexist and racist. You know, I'm not saying you're one of the people who shouts at me in the street. But you probably are one of the people who, if I invite you me for a job interview, does a slight double take. Yeah, like, this is the thing, it's like, pre- yeah, like, prejudice is, is not something that you escape merely by thinking yourself left-wing. Um, the other, the one, yeah. the one argument I will buy, actually, about why people who 
Because to you and me, right, Diane Abbott is somebody who is an accomplished media performer, right? She will go on TV, she sat on the sofa, which, you know, on, on yeah. This Week next to Portillo, talked about trains, yeah. made joke, you know. Um, and she served in the Shadow Cabinet under Edmund Abandon. Uh, and then, and actually, and she made a principled resignation from the Shadow Cabinet over the first Syria vote, yeah. which I and you see as well. She's come to it with lots of experience. But the counterpoint is that is that quite a lot of people, I think, who voted for Jeremy Corbyn actually they wanted someone completely untainted by the whiff of any kind of engagement with the system. And I think that is the one, if that's your value system, I think that's the one thing I do accept. Because to me, that's a, you know, the fact that Jeremy Corbyn hadn't chaired a select committee, hadn't ever served in the shadow cabinet, none of that stuff is a, is a disadvantage. But I think to some of his supporters, his his total purity and sort of never having sullied himself with with, with that is, is an advantage. I'm willing to account for... But that's maybe like 10%. Of, some of those people. But I'm just saying there's, there's you know, 40% of the of the Labour Party does does have a case to answer there. Uh, and, you know, whereas, and also, again, Sadiq, obviously, you know, very talented campaigner. But if if you've got to the point where you've decided that you don't care, and, yeah, and policy-wise, who was the person who had the most plausible solutions in terms of the actual powers of the mayor and housing it was david lammy who wanted to build on the green belt mm-hmm. and then if you take the view that oh you can't build on the green belt because of electability then actually tessa Jowell had a better housing policy as shown by the fact that he nicked it the day after he was elected and she was more popular in, in the polls and i think probably would have done even better you know yeah obviously i spent more time than was healthy looking at the ward by ward results and by the way if you work for uh any of the boroughs in the greater manchester or uh liverpool metro areas i am going to foi it anyway so if you could just publish it of your own volition the day after then it would just make everyone's lives a bit easier well um, talking of which you wrote a piece which argued that sadiq khan had a kind of corbyn bump like you yeah. know he he definitely benefited from corbyn's time as Labour leader which I think is a plausible thing when you look at the surge in membership across all the London Labour parties um, will Andy Burnham get a Corbyn bump in the sense of Manchester voters um, yes and no right in the, and this is why I am hoping that they will but because so lots of councils do produce these results ward by ward which they should because it's really useful for academics and nerds like me but um but it's also useful for, you know, democratic accountability. But, yeah, he will do very well in Manchester Withington because of Jeremy Corbyn. There will be people who have come into the Labour tent who will, uh, who will, who will, who will... And presumably there are, the Manchester Labour Party, although it was small before last year, has increased in, in size over the last year. It's inc- and that just puts more boots on the ground in I terms mean, I think of the, door the, knocking the and membership, phone the, banking. Like, um, you know, people, most people, 10% of the membership door knocks. And that basically doesn't change regardless of, of, of their their politics, uh, really. Um, but, um, but it, yeah, it will help him in some places. It, it also... The thing I'm really interested about is the thing I hear anecdotally from a lot of MPs, including MPs who do not have any time for Jeremy, is they will say in their patches, their places with a lot of students and a large um, Pakistani vote, um, they the the foreign policy stuff uh, has helped them. Um, one MP said to me, I have this weird thing where I go canvassing and, in student areas and they're very angry at the idea that, that people are saying Jeremy is anti-Semitic. They don't think it can possibly be true. Then I go down the other end of my patch and I'm knocking on doors where people are, are, happy, are, are happy at the idea <laughs> that he is anti-Semitic. Um, which, I mean, the thing is, it's actually true in um, in some majority uh, black, area, black areas as well because of the 
you know, evangelical church and, and you know, and, and, and Judaism. So it will be interesting to see in the, That's the story areas of which are majority Muslim. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah the, so this the, thing the, is... The polarisation. People who are already kind of in that direction anyway have gone for and, lo- you know, and gone push further to love. And then people who were slightly against have, have been driven. There's not that many people who feel ambivalent about Jeremy Corbyn. Well, because the interesting thing is it's basically a more emphatic version of Miliband's policy platforms. And it is electorally... Well, is securing slightly more emphatic versions of what Ed got in some places. So my guess is it will be a bit of a wash, really, in in Manchester. It won't be... Because although some people got very cross with, with that article, yeah, kind of, in terms of the places where Jeremy Corbyn is a massive asset to you, London, Bristol, Norwich, Crawley, Brighton, Brighton. Um, Oxford, a little bit less Cambridge. so, Cambridge. Mm. Well, because the, the thing is, is with Cambridge is... I mean, one, it's another one of those weird three-way marginals where the Lib Dems have eaten the Conservatives and it'll be very f- interesting to see how it's that plays out. It's a very small out. city centre as well, isn't but it? But yeah, that thing is, it's also, it, it, it's, it's that classic thing where you've got a city, you've then got kind of places like Cherry Hinton, which are, which feel and look like the stereotype people have in their minds of a safe Labour sea. And then you have like, ooh! Oh, shires. Oh, this is a bit weird. And I realise I don't know what if Cambridge is too small, because if it is too small and it's due to get bigger in boundary changes, then that makes that seat quite interesting. Can we quickly, before we finish this, just talk about somewhere else that I don't think that Corbynism is um, is really expanding the Labour vote. And I think has just been weirdly just kind of like written off, particularly by Corbyn's what was just mm. uh, Scotland. I had a lot of people telling me last summer that you know what was needed in Scotland was a proper anti-austerity party, mm. uh, and actually that he Corbyn was going to be going to be very popular there, but he hasn't visited Scottish cities very much. He has done a little bit, and I would suggest that he doesn't seem to be an electoral. It's yet another part of the way in which Scotland is drifting away into its own. I mean, it already is to a large extent has its own political culture. Yeah. Uh, but this is another nail in that coffin. You haven't ended up with a Labour leader who 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 is has personal popularity in, in large parts of Scotland. Yeah, I mean, well, so the interesting thing, he is slightly more popular with SNP voters than he is with Labour voters in Scotland. <laughs> so Scottish Labour voters dislike him slightly more. <laughs> that That is an interesting um, trend. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I always thought there was a bit of a misnomer to see it as about the Labour Party's left-right position. The... The strongest reason to vote for the SNP is that you want Scotland to be an independent country. But also that you want in, to have people whose entire guiding principle in politics is to get the best deal for Scotland. They don't have to make any concessions to balance any other bits of their party, right? I think that's a, a really important thing, is that you don't think of there being kind of horse trading about, you know, a Labour Party would have to kind of appease voters in other parts of the country so it can't argue for the best deal. That you, I mean, yeah. that that has started to break down a bit. So Because the, their, their great success in 2007 a bit, but obviously most significantly in 2011, was in effectively saying, well, the, the Scottish, the referendum issue, the independence issue, that's for a referendum. And then they did that. Then they had a very effective referendum campaign, partly because although there were the Scottish Greens and various small parties, they were effectively the party of independence. And it was a three-year advert for their policy platform. But if you look under the surface, there's actually quite a lot of churn in their vote, which is one of the reasons why what happened with the Tories this time happened. In the people who 
were unionists who might have voted Conservative in Westminster, but who were quite comfortable with the SNP's policy platform and thought they'd get a good deal and ran Holyrood well, went back to the Conservatives because of the union this time. So there's going to there's a slight unravelling of that. Although I've... my instinct is actually that is probably... If I were an SNP strategist, I would feel a situation in which my main opposition was the political right, saying let's stay in the union, would suit me down to the ground but yeah that i mean that does feel like there has been and for all the people chuff on about realignments in politics it does feel as if scotland has had essentially a, a realignment um but i think because the the thing is is that there wasn't really from a wonkish perspective a whole lot of difference between the SNP manifesto and, and ed miliband's manifesto you can argue about which one is more left-wing or more right-wing depending on how you feel about various policy levers but to be honest it, it's a fun pub chat but it's not really you know it, it's kind of arguable it didn't feel likely there was a great wave of votes to be unlocked by going to the SNP's left it's turned out there wasn't they did also run on a platform to the left of the SNP in the Holyrood elections you know tax cetera, a penny on income tax and restoring the 50p rate see i think the 50p rate is, is a really fascinating symptom of the smp's ability to triangulate without it looking like triangulation i mean it just shows you what a nimble political leader nicola sturgeon is I mean, As... so i'm going to defend them on the 50p rate because i'm horrendously right wing um do you think i mean there, there is an argument to be made that the 50p rate like if you in the same way that tuition fees you just actually if you look at the economics of it it is defensible as a policy. But I, I think as a signal, it's different. I don't think you can... I mean, I think I, I'm not convinced. So obviously at some point uh, when you raise taxes uh, on, on the very rich, you lose more in foregone income. I'm not convinced that 50p is that level. I think probably it's probably actually when you get to sort of 55, 56, 58, then actually you, that's when you start to have problems. Philosophically, I don't like the idea of people paying more than half, but I also don't like VAT being at twenty percent. So you know, you've kind of—it's it, it, not about what you want. It's it, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's important for yeah you know, your tax policy to be progressive, uh, and then kind of hopefully it's progressive in a way which is not philosophically uncomfortable, but it's more important for them to be fair. Um, however, if you have an open land border. A shared language, shared roads. I am aware of no serious figure in the Scottish independence movement who is proposing that even under independence, you would not have a situation. You'd in rebuild which... Hadrian's Wall, but, start I mean, speaking Gaelic, and then the it, it, it's much. It is much more far like the Scottish pound to suggest that. I mean, I find the idea that I would be paying a fifty-two rate slightly far-fetched. Anyway, but the idea that I would move to Geneva. Uh, if I live in London, to avoid the 50p rate. It's pretty dull in Geneva. It's It's quite far away from everyone I know and like. However, the idea that you might move to the borders if you work in Edinburgh or anywhere in that bit of Scotland, if you're you're well paid and you work in broadcasting or public services, the idea you're not going to add half an hour onto your commute in order to... Save a massive amount. Save, of save a massive amount of money. Look, I mean, we, that, we have to. We that, must. That that is obviously very different. The, so the fifty p rate argument for the SNP, regardless of, and the, it was a classic example of a missed goal uh, by Scottish Labour. Rather than having this opportunistic thing where they they started to oppose policies, than than you know they're they're good left wing policies, named persons policies, great policy. You can tell because it unites awful like posh social liberals who are like oh you know does the state know better how to raise kids yes with right wingers who are like oh does it matter does the state how to raise kids again yes um yeah no the smp 
Yeah. Okay. Well, we must draw things to a close because otherwise uh, we will never ever stop. But um, we'll we'll no doubt revisit this as the mayoral contest. Most of them aren't happening until 2017, so there'll be plenty of time. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. (laughs) 